All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for, for joining us um, today. I'm pleased to announce we have Amy Weaver, the CFO of Salesforce, with us today. Uh, we'll be doing a quick fireside chat. Amy, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Arjun. I'm excited, excited to get the chance to talk with you. Absolutely. Just before we get started, a few quick housekeeping items. First of all, my name is Arjun Bhatti. I'm the analyst here at William Blair that covers Salesforce. Uh, for a full list of our disclosures, you can go to our website at williamblair.com. Um, and for those that are listening in on, uh, online, if you have any questions for, for Amy, feel free to submit them via your Q&A feature, and I'll, uh, I'll try to relay them onwards. Um, with that, let's dive in. Amy, it's so you've been, you've had quite the journey with Salesforce. You've been at Salesforce for about eight years, if I have my, if I have my dates right, but um, recently became CFO. Just walk us through your, your background a little bit, what you've been doing at Salesforce before the CFO role and what the transition has really been like uh, since, since you took on the new role. Your, your math, your math was close, Arjun. So I've been here about seven and a half years, coming up on eight in October, um, and it's been an incredible ride with Salesforce. You know, when I joined, we had just acquired Exact Target and just hit ten thousand employees, and I think we had maybe three billion in revenue. And now here we are, you know, guiding to 26 billion for this year, 60,000 employees, and we're talking about when are we going to hit 50 billion? So, incredible opportunity. Um, as you said, you know, three months ago I transitioned to being CFO, and you know, it, it's been a fascinating transition because being with the company for so long, you know, I, I know our people, I know our customers, I know our products. And I've been at the C-suite during this time, but it's almost like you know, picking up at the table and shifting down three seats, and yet suddenly having an entirely new view across all of these areas. And it's made me really more excited than ever about the company. And one of the things that kind of this new lens has shown me is really a look at our growth and the potential that we have as a company. So I am excited to be here for the ride and excited to get us to $50 billion. Yeah, it seems. I'm sure you've seen uh, you've seen quite a lot of changes over uh, over those past eight years. Like you said, exact target that feels that feels like a long time ago. Um, <laughs> it felt but, so big at the time, and now it feels kind of quaint and dainty. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So maybe just just give us a sense for uh, you know what you're focused on um, <laughs> now. What what are some of the near term priorities as you look at you know. Um, Putting your 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 take on the CFO role and what maybe near term priorities and, and long term priorities in terms of what you're focused on. Well, I think as I said, the biggest priority is growth. And as we saw in Q1, the demand environment is absolutely incredible right now. And I think the very best thing we can do for our company, best thing we can do for our stockholders, for our employees, for all of our stakeholders, is really to invest into this growth. And that includes with sales capacity. Um, it's a unique opportunity for the company, and I think it's going to play out very, very well. You know, along with that comes an increased focus really on discipline and efficiencies. And those are two words that, you know, sometimes when you have a company that's a real startup, you don't hear a big focus on those, but they're two words I actually really embrace. I think it leads to stronger companies. I think it leads to more durable companies and it's going to continue to be a focus for me. Let's, let's touch on the, the first point that you mentioned there, which is just that the demand environment seems to be 
um, in in high gear, right? Um, we had a we had an odd year last year with with the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, but give us give us an overview of what you're seeing from customers, what their willingness is to invest, particularly in front office, right? Revenue driving solutions like like uh, like Salesforce, and then how how do you think that just compares to what we where we were at this point last year, and then even even at 2019 levels? How has just the demand environment progressed? Yeah, so the demand environment clearly right now is just on fire and that's that's really, really exciting. And what we saw this quarter and what I think was really unique is that big deals are back. And what I love about that is it just shows, it shows an incredible confidence that company, our customers and companies in general are willing to make that type of commitment. It shows, it shows their level of confidence and where we're coming back. Now, if we compare that to a year ago, our seven-figure deals were up 120%. But a year ago, you know, the world was in a very different place. And so that's not so surprising. What I think is interesting, though, is if we look at the number of seven-figure deals we did in Q1, it's greater than any time in our company's history. So I think it really, really shows this new confidence. The other area where I was really happy to see is that the deals that we were doing at this size were at least four cloud, or on average, they involved four to five clouds. So not only are companies making these bigger commitments, but they're making it kind of across their company in terms of different products. And this shows that they're not just looking for kind of a point in time solution, but they're really looking at more of a digital transformation. And I think coming out of that pandemic, no one one wants to move backwards. Last year proved that you've got to commit to these types of transformations. And we're seeing that just increase at at this point. Can you talk, so so there's been a lot of, I think, um, both organic and, and inorganic product changes that, that seem like they're contributing to your, the success you're having with larger deals, with seven-figure deals, with multi-product adoption. Can you just talk about maybe the role that Customer 360, some of the newer product announcements, right? MuleSoft and Tableau, I think we talked about them as being kind of this core service layer and all these deals being involved. Just talk about maybe some of the product factors, the innovation factors that are driving customers to make bigger investments with Salesforce? You know, I I think it goes back to this concept of digital transformation. And it's become kind of an almost a cliched expression at this point. So I was kind of hesitate before saying it, but it really is the best description that we have of how companies are changing. They're really looking at not just uh, making quick fixes to deal with something that may have come up in the pandemic, but really looking at where they want to be three years out, five years out, 10 years out, and how we're going to have a roadmap to get there. And that's really where the customer 360 comes in. We have this incredible portfolio of products. And these are products that have been homegrown. These are products that we've added. And there's products that really are a combination. When I look at something like Sales Cloud or Service Cloud, these are flagship products that we've had, in the case of Sales Cloud, for 22 years. But we've done tuck-ins at times. We've innovated um, organically at times. And so we're constantly refreshing these products and really looking at what do our customers need and what is going to help us help them as they create this roadmap going forward. So one of the things, right, in addition to just the the top line growth um, and the the deal acceleration that we're seeing, we're also seeing uh, margins, and you touched on this, right, efficiency 
um, in, in the model, right? You delivered 20% uh, operating margins last quarter. You raised your full year guide on operating margins. What are you doing on the on the efficiency side that's that's enabling you to to, to deliver profitability? And just maybe talk talk about some of the initiatives that you've undertaken um, specifically to, to to drive that because that was a, obviously a big focus um, uh, last quarter. You know, it, it was a big focus. And as you said, we had a, our operating margin for Q1 was a little over 20%. We've raised operating margin for the full year to 18%. And that's in the face of bringing in both Slack and Acumen this year, which have a dilutive impact of about 160 basis points. So I'm really pleased to see where we're going with this. And I think this is coming from a few areas. Um, the first is we're really looking to seize upon uh, what we learned during the pandemic, how we can operate in ways that are more efficient um, and that they benefit, frankly, both the top line and the bottom line. And I think the areas where we're seeing this, you know, t and is one, how we market is one, um, how we uh, look at our real estate portfolios is one. Some of these are instant savings we can have. Some of these are things that are going to take a longer approach uh, over the future as we see how people come back into the office. But it's, a, it's an evolving focus, but it's a really critical part of how we see ourselves moving forward. And you announced... Um that Dreamforce this year is going to be a hybrid event, but it will obviously have an in-person component to it, which is, I think, very exciting for a lot of your customers and, and, uh, and investors as well. But what, what does that mean for, for Salesforce to now have an in-person component to that as, as opposed to, you know, the COVID hiatus, I guess, that we took last year? Um, and then just how, how should we think about implications for lead gen, pipeline development, deal closing um, as a result of, uh, of of Dreamforce coming back this year? So first, we're really, really excited about Dreamforce coming back in person. I mean, this is absolutely a signature event. Um, and, you know, a year ago, it was hard to know what we were going to do in this case. It was hard to imagine Salesforce being Salesforce without Dreamforce. And for us at that point, Dreamforce meant 170,000 people in Moscone Center, you know, all of that energy. And I have to say, it was nerve-wracking going into the fall, knowing we weren't going to be able to do that. But what we learned is that we could put on a very, very high-quality virtual event that still created an incredible pipeline. And I think Q1 really proved that out. And there turned out to be some really interesting advantages to that. I mean, for one thing, we've reached millions of people instead of hundreds of thousands through Dreamforce in the fall. But we were also able to customize it. And we did this program called Dreamforce to You, where we had these customized versions of, trail, of Dreamforce that we did for more than 2,000 different customers. So we've really learned how to do a virtual event that still drives pipe and leads to great execution. But there is something about that magic of being together. So what we're doing this year is we're going to do this in five different cities. We are going to get together a certain number of people. It's going to depend, obviously, on local health regulations at the time, how big we can go. But we're hoping to, to get back that excitement and that just the personal touch of being together in the same room. And then build on that by combining it with this online appearance in this virtual world. And I think it's going to be exciting to see, you know, how do we balance this? How do we get the best of both worlds, reaching more people, having the excitement, and driving pipe? But of course, you did not ask me the most important question, which is what are we going to do about Investor Day? 
And uh, we're working through that right now. We've traditionally done investor day as part of Dreamforce. So we're looking at dates. We're looking at whether we do it in person or we do it virtually, but we hope to have more information coming out in the next few weeks. Well, I'm sure I'm sure everyone will be uh, will be very interested to hear what what happens with that uh, with that aspect of it. Um, let's um, let's let's switch to a topic that I think is on everyone's mind, which is Slack, um, right? Um, you, you announced this deal. Where uh, you know, I think the the latest guidance is that it's going to close towards the end of the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if we just zoom out, help us paint that picture of what Slack and Salesforce mean together and, and why it's so, why it was so important for, for, for the company to make this, um, to make this acquisition. So let me start with the closing date. And as you said, we, it's not completely within our control, but we are looking at the most likely time being kind of very tail end of our second quarter, which would make it the end of July. So, we will be first. I'll be excited, incredibly excited, just to get this deal closed and really jump in on this. It's an incredible. It's going to be an incredible acquisition. And as I look back at you know just the three months since I took this job, I have not met a single one of our shareholders in person. Um, I have not met a single customer in person um, or investor. But we've been able to do this and make these connections via Zoom without traveling. And it shows that as much as we're looking forward to getting back to certain aspects, the entire way that we operate has changed. And that brings me to Slack because what people are looking for and how we operate and how we operate online, Slack really represents this. And so you know, building this type of engagement layer, layer and building it into Salesforce is really how we see the future of work. And when Brett and Stuart began talking about this, they really focused on this as being an operating system for growth and really looking at what is the new normal. So I think this combination of Slack with our current portfolio is going to be very, very powerful. Yeah, and and I want to bring in an audience question here because I think it's it's very relevant. So um, the question is, you know, it's incredible what you did with the MuleSoft acquisition, which I think Mm -hmm. has been just a, a tremendous success, but what are the lessons that you've learned from MuleSoft that, that you can actually repeat with Slack to, to get that to be just as successful uh, of an acquisition? So it, it's, a, it's a great question. And both ta- and I would point to both Tableau and to MuleSoft as being just terrific acquisitions. Um, we've been very pleased with the growth of both of them. And you know, MuleSoft has continued to grow at a very, very impressive rate. We just passed our third anniversary of that acquisition. And when we acquired them, they were at a $250 million a year run rate business. They're now at a $1.5 billion run rate business. So great success. Uh, We obviously would love the same for Slack. Uh, Tableau also doing very, very well. Um, We had some integration delays with them. We had the whole separate order from the CMA. And then as soon as we came out of that, we were hit with a pandemic, like within a couple of months. But I look at Tableau and I look at what they're doing. And one of the things that makes me most excited is when I look across our top 10 biggest deals in the quarter for all of Salesforce, Tableau was part of eight out of 10 of those deals. So it just shows terrific integration. Now, looking to Slack, 
we have learned so much in every acquisition we've done. We, we don't always get things right, but we learn from every one of these. And at this point, I feel like we have a very sophisticated, you know, acquisition playbook. And also, you know, with the lengthy time between announcing that the, our intent to acquire and the closing date, it's really giving us the time to make sure we're ready. We've got terrific integration plans and to make sure that we can really hit the ground running as soon as we close. Yeah, I think, um, no, that's very interesting. I think the, the, the numbers from Tableau and MealSoft were both very remarkable yeah. um, last quarter. Uh, and then let, let, let's just follow up because I think one, one of the things that, that one of the questions that I actually get from, from investors quite a lot is, um, you know, does Salesforce end up closing down or closing the Slack ecosystem, right? Making it less open mm -hmm. as you, as you tend to integrate it. <clears throat> I just be curious how, how you're thinking about that, that question, because it is something that comes up quite a lot with investors. How would you answer that? You know, I, I'm glad you asked because that was the first question we got with MuleSoft from investors. I mean, we were just hammered with questions in that first 24 hours after we announced the acquisition. We got it again with Tableau. And now we're seeing that with Slack. And our, our answer is the same in each case. You know, interoperability is extremely, extremely important. And that is why for all of the Salesforce products, you can see that we integrate with thousands and thousands of applications from different vendors. And the important of, importance of interoperability, I think is particularly acute for Slack. I mean, a, a key part of Slack's entire value proposition is their ability to integrate with the you know, broadest possible range of third-party software developers and software solutions, really. And the more applications that they integrate with, the more customers will adopt Slack and the more will use Slack to get their work done. So, you know, it's in our interest as well, actually not to shut down interoperability, but to really encourage this. And I think the way that we handled for MuleSoft and for Tableau should give people a lot of confidence that that is what we believe in and that is our model and that is how we see this playing out. Yeah, I think the, the, the MuleSoft point is particularly great because, you know, I think of Slack almost as an, as an integration engine in its, in its mm -hmm. own ways, just because of the broad reach that it has and MealSoft is very much the same way. And um, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. Um, I want to ask another, another audience question here, which, um, you know, which is also kind of pertinent to this, but what are you thinking of the, of your M&A strategy going forward? There's obviously a lot on your plate right now with, with Slack, but how are you thinking about that um, going forward? And then, what do you think of the current valuation environment as, as, as Salesforce looks out in the market? You know, as we, I, I never want to say never on M&A. I think we have to be very, very caref careful with that. Um, we look at things opportunistically. You, know, you never know when the absolute dream uh, company is going to show up and that you may have an opportunity to do something with them. Uh, so everything that comes up, we're, we're going to take a look at and we are going to kick the tires on. That said, we have a lot to integrate with Slack right now. And that is by far and away our number one priority for this year. Um, in terms of valuation, I mean, it, it's a hot market right now. And um, a lot of companies are trading. And I think it's going to be a very interesting year for many uh, other companies to see what they do. Okay, um, understood. Let's um, maybe let's just uh, switch gears off of the uh, M and A and Slack route for a second, and, and 
Um, I, I want to touch on maybe just the go-to-market for a little bit because, you know, if I rewind to a year ago today, um, I kind of distinctly remember, you know, Mark Benioff making this point that, uh, hey, we're going to invest through the pandemic. We're going to, we've learned our lessons from 2008. Yeah. What what has what was that what does what what is that decision to invest as opposed to cut back last year? What is that what impact is that having on the business today and for your overall growth trajectory as you look to go out and capture capture your market opportunity? So the great financial crisis was took place in two thousand and eight, and that was about five years before I joined Salesforce. But I feel very much like I was there for it because Mark has reminded us so many times about what his regrets were during that. And his number one regret in 2008 was that he stopped expanding. They stopped investments in growth. They stopped investments in headcount. And he was really determined that we were not going to make the same type of mistakes this time around. So when we started getting together, you know, the leadership's team started really focusing on what we were going to do. You know, it, it was a scary time. You are really gambling on where is the, the demand environment going? How long is this going to last? But we really heard Mark on this. And we decided that we were going to continue to build out our sales capacity. And we really started this about the middle of last year. That has paid off beautifully for us because by the time we were able to hire and you get people fully ramped, they were ready to hit the ground running on Q1. And I think it made a huge difference to us that we were able to learn the lessons from 2008, apply them this time and have that confidence to move forward and invest in. You know, the, the other thing I will say about that, and it's not necessarily specific to a lesson coming out of 2008, but when you go through a year like last year with your leadership team, where you are forced to make huge, tough decisions, and they're coming at you, especially I look back at Q1 of last year, and you are just making decisions, you are grappling with issues you never thought you would ever have to deal with in your career. It really brings you together as a leadership team because you're looking at a set of shared values and a shared vision for the company, and you're trying to execute against that. And just the alignment of the team, I think, has been absolutely remarkable. You know, clearly starting with Mark, you know, I worked very, very closely with Gavin, closely, closely with Brett. And coming out of that, it has made me even more confident about where we're going and our ability to get to 50 billion. Yeah, I can, I can certainly imagine those were some very tough decisions to make uh, last year with all the uncertainty uh, that, was, uh, that was there um, just a year ago. The, the, the other part to kind of just dovetail into is you invested last year, as you just philosophically, you're, 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 you know, you're thinking about gross, growth versus margin expansion, right? How, how do you think about um, that over time for Salesforce? Are you prioritizing growth? And, and how do you think about just balancing that with keeping your margins nice and healthy uh, going forward here? So first, I, I want to be uh, a little bit careful. We've not given long-term margin uh, guidance. You know, I've given it through the end of the year. Um, so not making predictions three, five years out in terms of our framework on that. You know, I, I go back to the idea that growth is number one. So if you are talking, if we're prioritizing, that's definitely the number one priority. 
However, when I look at our opportunities to improve discipline at the company, to you know, determine additional profitability, it, it, there are a number of priorities. You start with growth. The second is you really need to invest into the company. I, I'm a big believer that you have to have a very strong infrastructure at the company, whether that's engineering, GNA, systems, processes. And then hopefully you're also seeing additional profitability dropping to the bottom line. Now, looking forward into our opportunities, you know, I mentioned before, we've really got to look back at what we learned on this past year and looking how we maximize for both top line and bottom line and continue to go forward. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring in just a, a question from the audience here, because there's one on, on just sales and marketing leverage, um, which I think relates to the, the conversation that we were just having. But is there, when you think about just the operating profile of larger deals, right? When you're seeing these multi, multi-cloud deals come in, um, is there are those economics on the on the uh, commission structure different for for larger deals versus smaller de- deals at all? And do you think there's any changes that you can make uh, to the commission structure going forward to get leverage on the sales and marketing line? You know, I, I don't know that we would talk in such great details about commission structures and how we would handle small deals from big deals. Uh, one interesting thing, though, I would point out on uh, new logos, which tend to be you know, the smaller deals coming in. We were taking we're taking a look at this recently, and one thing that we are seeing that I think is fascinating is for new logos, brand new customers. We're seeing that they're coming in at a higher point in terms of their initial spend, and we're also seeing that they're coming in with more clouds than they typically have. And this is a real shift over the last about three years. And I'm excited to see where this takes us. Um, it, it, people willing to make a bigger jump, and we're going to be following. It's something we're going to be following very closely. But I think it's a great, great sign. Yeah, that's um, that's that's a very interesting point. I'm, I'm curious if you. Um, you know, you acquired Velocity, uh, I want to say it's been maybe a year, year and a half, if I... Uh, almost exactly a year, almost to the day. Almost, yeah. almost exactly a year. So may, maybe talk about the role that verticalization is playing in your growth and, and specifically what what the impact of the Velocity acquisition has been on that vertical strategy uh, for mm-hmm. Salesforce. So Velocity is probably the most natural and um, beautiful fit acquisition we could we could have made. Like I said, we brought it in about a year ago, and it has had incredible advantages even just since day one. So a couple of the advantages I would point to. Um, first is David Schmeier. We, uh, this has nothing to do with the industries directly or verticalization. Just a fabulous executive, though. And we have taken him uh, kind of out of velocity and put him in charge as our chief product officer. It's been um, terrific, terrific engagement. In terms of verticalization and in industries, this is something we have t- been talking about for about eight years at the company. And we've been leaning in further and further. Velocity really brought it home. It opened it up in many different areas, um, expanding it, taking it to a really different level than we've had. And in Q1, one of the things we really noticed is that um, eight out of, you know, I talked about eight of our 10 biggest deals for the company had a Tableau element. Well, eight of our top 10 deals for the company also had a vertical element. And I think we are just going to see that continuing to build. We now have 10 verticals 
And I am sure we will add more, but it, it's been incredible um, to see what we can do. And Velocity has absolutely helped us pick up the pace in that area. And what, what do you, so just when you think about the, the increasing vertical strategy, how, how do you think about the impact on sales efficiency, sales cycles for vertically focused deals, right, mm -hmm. with, with your vertical solutions versus um, what you see on, on maybe, maybe the horizontal side? Is there a difference there at all um, just on your, your, your efficiency uh, in, in closing those deals? You know, I think on the verticals that it is still early days to tell how that's going to play out in terms of how we work with the customers and how long that deal cycle typically is. Um, they do tend to be more complex deals. These are sophisticated areas that where we're bringing it in. But um, I think that it's worth that time when we put it in. My favorite expression for this is one that Brett Taylor uses quite a bit, which is, you know, with taking the vertical uh, approach, we're really helping our customers start on third base. You know, they're walking into something that's really already been tailored for them. They just need to bring it home at that point. So again, very, very excited. Velocity has been a terrific addition to Salesforce. Perfect. Um, and we have maybe time for just one more question, but sure. uh, I'll, I'll leave it at maybe a higher level um, a higher level question. You put out a target at last year's analyst day to get to 50 billion. Uh, in revenue by fiscal 2026, just maybe talk about your confidence in in, in getting to that 50 50 billion dollar revenue uh, target, and what some of the drivers are um, that will that will get you there. So at a recent fireside chat, I mistakenly said that we were driving to uh, 50 million by FY26. And I'll tell you, I've got ultimate confidence that we're going to nail that one. Um, <laughs> the moderator very, very nicely pointed out that perhaps that was not a very ambitious goal for me. But we're headed, <laughs> we're headed to 50 billion um, by the end of uh, FY26. And I have the same amount of confidence as I do if we were headed to 50 million. Um, I, there's three things that really give me the most confidence on this. First is the total addressable market. I mean, this continues to expand every year for all of our products, really. And by FY26, it's expected to be more than two, $200 billion. So lots of room there. The second is the ability to execute. And I thought the past year really proved this out. I mean, I never would have dreamed a year ago that our sales team could do what they did without ever getting on a plane. And you know, do this basically just overnight. And they did. And when I look at anything that could come in our way, it just gives me the confidence that they're going to be able to handle that. They're going to be able to sail through this and they're going to be able to execute. And the third is our, is our portfolio of products. We just have an incredible portfolio with the customer 360. I think when you add this together, the execution, the market, our existing portfolio, and then you combine Slack, I have great confidence and really a lot of excitement about getting to $50 billion in revenue. All right. Well, wonderful. Um, Amy, really enjoyed having you here. Thank you for taking the time uh, with us today. And uh, thank you, everyone uh, on the line for joining as well. Great. Terrific. Thanks, Arjun.